0: Good afternoon and welcome to Startup Nation, our weekly show that celebrates innovation and entrepreneurship. Startup Nation is brought to you by Dublin Business Innovation Centre, where ambitious founders get support to start and scale new businesses. At Dublin BIC, we work with startups to get them investor ready and also assist them raise funding, the funding needed to grow their business. I'm Conor Carmody. I hope you'll stay with me over the next hour as we explore the emerging trends in the world of technology and business. And one of the most exciting things about emerging new technologies or disruptive innovation is when we hear about a big breakthrough in a major societal challenge, be that related to health, climate, whatever. I'm talking about the big stuff here, a major medical breakthrough that will save lives, or potentially a surgery that can be done more successfully because of robotics and AI, or indeed a solution for carbon capture that will, fingers crossed, result in the sustainability of our planet. At Dublin Big we're fortunate enough to come across groundbreaking technologies and in innovation. Take, for example, Septec. We chatted recently to Kelly Adamson from a company called Septec. Sepsis causes hundreds of deaths each year, but Septec have developed a way to detect sepsis early, thus, reducing deaths and reducing our reliance on antibiotics and antimicrobial resistance. That's kind of huge. And that's just one example of the many that are happening in Ireland today. And a big backer of challenge-based research and innovation here in Ireland is Science Foundation Ireland. And I'm delighted to have Dr. Ruth Freeman here today to discuss the challenges and some of the exciting projects currently ongoing to address those challenges. And sometimes it's the little things that make a big impact at an individual level. So we'll be talking to startup founder Suzanne Maloney, who has developed a solution for hydrodinitis superativa patients, another game-changing innovation. And as we know very well at Startup Nation and indeed at Dublin BIC, it takes more than just a new technology or a brilliant uh, innovation or a great idea to make a business. Starting and scaling a business is hard work and requires a specific set of skills, talent and mindset. So we're going to speak to one of Ireland's most successful founders, Fergal Brady, on harnessing great ideas and making a commercial success. So, in our Future Scope slot each week, we explore trends and challenges. We discuss what's happening both globally and on the ground. We discuss the issues, the innovations that are being developed to address these. And this afternoon, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Ruth Freeman of Science Foundation Ireland. Ruth, you're very welcome this afternoon.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Connor.
0: Brilliant to have you. Um, maybe to start off, tell us a little bit about Science Foundation Ireland and the remit.
1: Sure. So Science Foundation Ireland is a government agency, so I suppose I, I spend my day spending and looking after your money <laughs> and all the taxpayers of Ireland's money. And, and primarily, we give that money to researchers, uh, to scientists, technologists, engineers and mathematicians, most of whom are working in our higher education system. Right. Uh, so we use international experts and peer-reviewed to help us select projects to fund Uh, we have a very high bar we only fund about 10 or 15 percent of the projects that come into us and we fund across all disciplines and in lots of different ways so so we fund early career researchers who are just starting out all the way up to big research centers with hundreds of people working on you know big topics like ai and the future of health so um, we're the largest competitive funding agency in ireland here Um, and and so our remit is all around building next generation skills building next generation innovation so what we say is you know we're we're building today preparing for tomorrow Uh, so that's really our core remit
0: and so so the the remit then is around addressing the big meaty challenges that society faces that otherwise probably wouldn't get addressed i guess
1: well, I mean, th- th- absolutely, and, and there's challenges that are that are global, where of course Ireland wants to play its role uh, in terms of solving those, and then and then there's also problems that that are specific h- here in Ireland that we want to solve. So, I mean, I suppose uh, you know we 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 also I suppose we've been focusing on those missions and challenges, as have a lot of people globally over the last number of years. So it, it's about the big issues, but but it's about you know, using the scientists that we've now funded in this country for for decades to really allow them to turn their considerable brain power onto these big issues that are going to impact on all of us.
0: Right. And in a normal commercial world where, you know, there's a focus on an immediate bottom line return, that the time required, I guess, to develop a lot of these uh, significant challenges means that the state has to fund these or otherwise it probably won't happen.
1: Absolutely, and I mean, I think you know we've all been through, uh, you know, a pretty turbulent uh, eighteen months, and, mm. and you know it was absolutely spectacular that science could respond so quickly and produce all of these range of, of vaccines that are working so well and in getting us out of this pandemic. But I think it's really important to remember that, that the work on those vaccines yeah. didn't start when this pandemic started. The science that was really developed to create those vaccines is based on decades of, of work, much of it in higher education institutes all over the world, building that base of knowledge that meant that we were able to respond. Now, so I suppose what you have there is a very, you know, a combination of... Decades of investment across the world in biomedical science combined with a huge investment and push in a short period of time to solve a very specific problem. And I think that's the kind of methodology that we want to try and apply to other big challenges. So we we have to keep investing in that base level of excellence and and keep creating that new knowledge and, and understanding. But then on top of that, can we layer these missions? where we push to get things done in a shorter time frame
0: fantastic and you you and, and so that leads us nicely into the challenge model that science foundation ireland has at the moment so you pick a number of challenges and as you say then apply a very specific focus uh, in terms of of explain the challenge model to us
1: so so the challenge model we currently run through a scheme that we call the future innovator prize and how this works is we bring we invite submissions from teams of researchers but not just researchers we also also ask them to bring on board what we call a societal champion but essentially this is someone who joins the team who has a real understanding of the issue that the team is trying to solve so you know, that could be a patient, it could be a, a doctor, it could be a farmer, if, if if you know the challenges around, for example, agricultural emissions. And uh, so we put that team together and we get them started in what we call a concept phase. So we give them a little bit of funding, three months and a lot of training. Uh, and essentially, they do a huge amount of stakeholder engagement to try and understand am I actually going to solve the problem if I come up with this technological innovation? Because, you know, we, we've all heard about this idea of technology, push the idea, you know, just because I can create this technology, I believe it will solve the problem. Well, will it actually solve the problem? Yeah. Um, so, so, so we give the teams three months to really firm up on that concept. And after three months, we, we review all of the projects and, and we get rid of half of the teams at this point. We give extra funding to to the teams that are left, and we give them around nine months to really go through what we call a seed phase, where where they're really going to try and get to, you know, an, if not a prototype, some sort of minimum viable product, or something that we can then assess and decide will we give a prize award uh, mm. and at the end of all that we give out a large prize award very internationally competitive uh, the prizes to date have been either 1 or 2 million euro mm. and that prize award uh, enables the team so, so it's not it's not personal money unfortunately yeah. to them. they don't <laughs> just get a big check to yeah. go and take home but but they invest that money in taking the solution you know t- towards implementation uh, and so we've been running this program now for around 3 years Uh, we're on our fifth set of teams at the moment uh, and we hope to go going out with some new challenges very shortly
0: fantastic what are when you talk when you talk about the thematic areas what are some of the the big challenges the global challenges that that when you're looking at picking those thematic areas what's on your radar
1: well i mean it won't it won't surprise anyone who's listening to the, the news about canada at the moment that 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 climate change and sure. green challenges uh, have already played a, a big role uh, in our challenges. Again, some of you, the listeners may have seen that we recently announced one of those prizes to a project called Farm Zero C, which was looking at creating a dairy farm with zero carbon emissions. So, wow. so that will, that has been and will remain up a very high in our list of priorities. Uh, we've also looked at the digital space um, because, again, we, we want to leverage the skills that we have here in Ireland. We have very, very strong of researchers around things like AI uh, and digital technologies so we've been looking at AI for societal good uh AI to you know looking at projects that do things like you know, detecting greenwashing when companies are trying to promote green values, but they don't actually have them. Yeah. Um, so, so a big range of things. And then health, of course. I mean, uh, you know, health um, remains a key issue for, for many citizens and people here in Ireland. They want us to look at those challenges. Um, so I think those are the kind of range that we've really been focused on, uh, because they're big issues but also because we believe they're important to people here yeah. um, and also because we believe we have some capacity here in terms of the researchers that are in Ireland who may be able to, to come up with good solutions that could help with some of those problems.
0: And as you're developing these challenges um, and the, the thematic areas, is, are there any specific to Ireland or are we broadly following the global model?
1: I, I would say, you know, that there's not a huge amount of issues that will be completely unique to here. But, for example, we've been considering looking at things like our peatlands resource. Now, now, Ireland, when you look in global percentages, has a huge percentage of the global peatland resource. Right. So, you know, are there things that we could do to ask researchers, well, how would we, you know, improve the quality of bogs? Quicker, you know, than we might do just by, by the current uh, technology that we're using. What, what are the best things that we can do in those areas? I mean, I think that example of the dairy farm, I mean, we know that farming is a huge part of our greenhouse gas emissions. So in some ways, if that's one of our big issues, we should turn our attention to there. If that's the problem that we are trying to solve here, I mean, in, in terms of health You know, again, I think there will be some issues that will come to the fore here. I mean, we we funded a team led by Dr. Alison Liddy out of Galway. She was our our first prize winner looking at chronic pain. Now, again, chronic pain, it's it's, it's a big issue here in Ireland, but, but it's also a global issue. And, of course, really, when this works, you know, really, really well, I think we can aspire to come up with a solution that can can help here in Ireland but can maybe also be be translated into a very commercially viable and growing business because as well as those societal challenges we're, we're also so interested in building an economy here in ireland a sustainable economy you know with with, with well-paid jobs um in, in this high-tech area and that's of course at the core of sfi's remit as well
0: it's interesting so when you when you look back uh, at the challenges that have, that have gone before um are you tracking those companies as they move through the challenge phase with you, take the funding? Have you seen them start to develop the commercial uh, approach? Um, any examples of anyone who's kind of gone from the lab, if you will, out into into the commercial world?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Alison Liddy, as I, I spoke about there, her company looking at a novel injectable for pain. We've seen another company that came through our process uh, Which was looking at um, sepsis, you know, a a diagnostic. Elaine and uh, Kelly. Elaine, exactly. And and so, and what we've seen is some of those companies going on to get really significant follow on funding uh, from either, you know, angel VCs or or from things like the European Innovation Council, uh, which is obviously a European body really trying to, you know, find and fund very well, you know, high tech, deep tech companies that can grow into the the kind of unicorns that we need here in Europe you yeah. know that, that we don't have a, you know in the same way um the same density that we see in places like silicon valley so you know i think that's what we're seeing and 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 to be honest connor not only is it the research but i think the fact that we bring the researchers into a program that is time bound that is competitive and also that we provide support and training because, again, you know, obviously entrepreneurship, it's more than just the product and the research. I mean, you will know this very well. You know, it's, it's about attitude. It's about confidence. It's about knowing who to talk to. And I suppose what we're trying to do is equip researchers with those skills as well. So, so we don't just fund them, walk away and say, we'll come back and check on you in six months. We're with them every step of the way.
0: And there's a there's a kind of a support structure that's required uh, to, to move these on. Is there is there funding available beyond so they, they do the challenge phase with you and I think you briefly mentioned it there, but it'd be nice to just explore it a bit. They do the challenge phase with you and then they've got to go and start funding in, in kind of the commercial world. Um how does that process work for them is there is there funding available because this is a very particular type of tech or or innovation that's being developed that maybe isn't you know doesn't appeal to the mainstream funders i guess
1: yeah i mean again i would say more and more we're seeing uh, vc funds that are interested in in work coming out of the academic sector you know there's a couple of specialist vcs some of whom who, who were brought into Ireland, um, you know, with investments like the Irish um, the Strategic Investment Fund, and um, so some of those have come into Ireland and are interested in looking at these kind of academic spinouts. But certainly, I think things like the Disruptive Technologies Innovation Fund, yeah. which is which is another Irish government fund, again focused more on the co- commercial and company side of things, a- and also the the European Innovation Council. These, I, I suppose, there's been a recognition in Europe quite broadly that this has been a gap for us yes. uh, you know that we need better uh, more readily accessible and also larger larger scale funding you know because we, we can see you know the obvious route for a lot of high-tech startups has just been to to, to go west uh, you know to head over to the west coast of the states where you know they find investors who are just ready ready to ready to take a chance and at scale and i think that is something that we need we, we need and we are putting in place alongside programs like our challenge funding, because Mm. I suppose what we're, you know, it's all about that funnel effect, you know, (laughs) a bit like the challenge process itself. You know, you've got a wide funnel at the beginning. You're trying to look at as much innovation and new ideas, as many ideas as you can, but then you're gradually filtering down, filtering down, and increasing the level of investment all the way. Right.
0: Um, Can I ask you, uh, finally, the... The research and the innovations uh, that that you're seeing, are they starting or when will we see them, I suppose, impacting globally? Because, you know, you mentioned Farm Zero Free, for example, and that seems to be if you can have a, a, I think you said a carbon uh, neutral farm. That seems like uh, a kind of a world changing innovation. What's the path for them to kind of move from where we are now to making that uh, a global kind of uh, company or innovation, I guess?
1: Yeah I mean farm Zero is is an interesting example actually and it sort of t- talks about a difference in the kind of innovations we'll support, because really what Farm Zero Seed does, it tries to look at the farm in a holistic way. So rather than having one single intervention to cut carbon emissions, it's a combination of looking at you know, the, the livestock, the feed, the planting, you know, the, the use of, of chemicals, the use of water. It's kind of looking at everything together and almost like trying to, to, to get some wins on every single one of those things such that you can add up to, to a more sustainable farm. I mean, obviously, the the two million investment that we've given to those researchers is is going to enable them to roll that to tens of farms. Yes. Uh, And and again, we already, I mean, Carberry have been a partner in that project the whole way through, uh, a big dairy cooperative. So I think, you know, bringing in those stakeholders from the early stages will help these to start rolling out. So, I mean, I, I hope that's a project that we will start to see the impact of in in the time of the prize awards so over the next kind of two years if we're gradually increasing the number of farms that are all gradually cutting their emissions that's fantastic Uh, i mean again For some of the medical innovations, you know, it it does take a bit of time, but we've certainly seen a number of companies already well on their way with significant follow-on funding. And so I think this kind of accelerated innovation model will bring these innovations to the consumer and, and as you say, bring that impact to society much, much quicker than perhaps if we just let them take their natural course um, sort of through the university system.
0: Superb. Uh, Ruth, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It was great to chat, great to hear all about the the challenges, and we will be keeping an eye on them uh, over the coming years.
1: Thanks, Conor. Good to talk to you.
0: Thank you. And that was Dr. Ruth Freeman of Science Foundation Ireland. And moving on, each week we bring you an innovator who has spotted a gap in the market, is developing a new and innovative way to address that gap, and they're going to tell us all about it. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined this week by Suzanne Maloney, who's the founder and CEO of Hydromed. Suzanne, welcome and thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks so much, Connor. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Great to have you. Um, firstly, tell us about Hydromed. What is it that you do exactly?
2: We make uh, adhesive-free wound dressings for people living with a chronic disease called hydrognitis suppurativa, or HS for short.
0: Okay. Um, and what what is that? Explain that to me. What because I know you personally have suffered with that as well so explain first what is hs
2: hs is a skin disease that causes lesions lumps and wounds to form in areas of the body like the armpit the groin and the buttock right and um, these lesions constantly weep and drain so they require regular wound care and um, it's an incurable disease so it's really difficult for the patient to manage it and um that's where we stepped in to try and help people just live their lives with this, this.
0: So, so it can, it can't it can't be cured. It can be managed.
2: Yeah, there's there's treatment options available that can can control the the kind of inflammation, um, but for the most part, it's it's an incurable disease.
0: And you personally, I mean, your your company Hydromed is born from your personal experience.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I've had HF since I was a teenager. And um, I just, you know, I tried my best to manage it over the years, but it, it got progressively worse and to the point where it was interfering with my, my daily life, my job. Uh, I used to be a chef, actually, and managing these wounds, in particular in the armpit and on the thigh, uh, when you're very active and trying to be mobile using your arms.
0: In a, in a, a, hot, in a hot kitchen, I guess. And yeah. Uh, yeah, very difficult.
2: Yeah. So the dressings that I was using would often, you know, peel away or they'd leak and uh, it's very embarrassing but it's also just you know it's very inconvenient to yeah. try to, to be managing these wounds um, so regularly.
0: And so is, is HydroMed then is it you developed it because you couldn't find any other way of addressing the problem?
2: Exactly so I was using off-the-shelf dressings which are designed for flat areas of the body they're rectangular or square usually most of them have an adhesive skirt they just don't fold very well with the body they kind of you know they're not designed for a mobile moist or hairy area of the body so yeah. that's where wear came in and I initially started developing this to see if I could just figure a way for me to live my life without having to worry too much about dressing but I spoke to a lot of other patients online and realized that the problem was actually a lot bigger than I ever realized or ever thought it could be and no one was really doing anything about it that the, that people with hs were just widely overlooked when it came to wound care so i i started developing this more seriously then because it was just, it was just right. very upsetting to hear that there was this huge population of patients that that were struggling in the same way that i was
0: okay um so, how does one move, and, and I met you a couple of years ago when you were on the uh, EICSF, but how does one move from being a chef to suddenly building up a, a medical grade product company? So, describe for me the journey for, uh, as, as you thought about this, you're trying to find a solution, you can't find one, you say, well, I'll, I'll go and design my own. Describe the process to me. Yeah,
2: so it was, it's a very long process, <laughs> well, it was for me anyway, Um People always think, oh, you're kind of, you're really doing great now. And I'm like, yeah, I started this back in 2014 or
1: 2013. Yeah.
2: Um, I, I started working with the product designer um, kind of privately. So I was, uh, you know, using my own money to kind of try and develop something. And um, that didn't work out. But for about two years, I was back and forth with him. And it's such a nice story because I actually contacted an old client of mine from my bakery that I owned at the time. And I had made his wedding cake, and I remembered that he was a product designer. So I just asked him for a bit of advice, and he put me uh, in touch with MCAD, and I got an innovation voucher from Enterprise Ireland to develop a prototype. And once I had the prototype, I was able to present it to the Health Innovation Hub and to another program called BioScale. And BioScale is based at the University uh, in Galway, NUIG, and it was a six-month Training program at MedTech Accelerator, where I learned a lot about commercializing and developing medical devices, and it it all just t- changed from there. It all took off from there. But then I did the EI and um, competitive start fund, um, and was successful in that. And I won various grants and um, was able to hire Cohen and my colleague um, yeah. and start to build a team. So it just it just took a lot of time and perseverance, I suppose. Um, and then we went and got some seed funding and i made I made some really key hires um, and I always think it was such a contrast to my job at the bakery where I was the expert yeah and I had you know all the answers to moving into an area where I had very limited knowledge so I had to hire the, the kind of expertise into the company um, and we just developed it together
0: Isn't that a great insight that uh, as you as you start to develop this product, you realised, actually, I don't know everything and I need to bring in lots of people around me. And, and that notion of finding complementary team members and skill sets that will really add value to you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And to trust them as well to, to kind of do their jobs and um, I suppose to guide me in a sense, because they they knew what they were doing where I was still learning. Yeah.
0: So where are you at now? Uh, if you started this, I think you said in 2014, we're six or seven years later. Where are you on this kind of journey at the moment?
2: Yeah, so, it, so the Bioxcel Mad Tech Accelerator was in 2018. And yeah. that's where things really started to get moving. Um, we are now on the market with four garment products. Uh, so the garment is a, a second skin that facilitates the placement and retention of a dressing. Yeah. So we have four garments, uh, two for uh, women and one unisex and one set of underwear then for men as well. So we are catering to people with HS in the armpits, the groin, the buttocks and the tie. Um, So they are launched, they're on the market, we're selling it to Ireland, the UK, across Europe and the US. And we started off with direct sales um, to to customers, Um, but the main goal has always been to make how to accessible to as many patients as possible. So we've been pursuing a reimbursement in several markets. Um, we were listed in Ireland on the, on the PCRS in May this year. So we're available to patients now on the medical card and the drug payment scheme. Which presumably
0: um, is a big difference for, for patients who are looking to, to kind of avail of this product.
2: Absolutely, it, it makes it more accessible and it's quite a milestone in Ireland because not many dressings are actually dispensed to patients at all. So it's kind of, it's, it's a fantastic achievement and I'm so, I'm so proud of Ireland. We're the first country in the world to actually make a HS specific wound dressing available to Brilliant. patients.
0: And, um, and, so. and did you have to push for that?
2: Um, yeah, it's not easy to, to, do, to yeah, do. It's yeah. definitely, a, a, it's, a, it's a process and there's a lot of to and fro-ing but there, I, I suppose at the end of the day the evaluators could see the value in what we were doing and the, and the burden that is imposed on patients by typical or traditional wound dressings and
1: how many, the benefits
2: to patients.
0: How many people in Ireland would be affected by HS?
2: Up to 60,000 in Ireland. It depends on, I suppose, the, the way you perceive the prevalence rates Um, uh, there's a lot of undiagnosed people in Ireland and I'd actually take the opportunity to to say to anyone listening if you have any suspicious lumps in the armpit, the groin or repetitive or recurring boils or abscesses anywhere to go uh, to your GP and ask them could it be HS because very often it is uh, but these boils and abscesses are just being treated as an acute kind of um, isolated incident where there's a pattern of, of kind of recurrence that
0: that is typical in hs oh so it's great advice so if you if you're considering this please do check with your gp can i just go back to the product for a sec because when i was looking at your your website and i remember you as hydromed but it's now morphing to hydro hydro wear um and so in fact you're selling not just the garment or not just the dressing but the the undergarment that holds it in place as well am i correct on that
2: Yes, exactly. So it, it's a three-part system where there is a garment that that is kind of very snug. It's very comfortable, though. It's not tight. It's, yeah. it's a very super soft garment, um, and it's snug to the affected area. And there's, there's a special panel of perforations that covers the affected area, and the dressing is placed inside the garment underneath the perforations. And then the third part is a little external fastening tab that attaches Outside the garment, but through the perforations in the garment to the dressing. Right. So it's like a little sandwich. And it's yes. very effective because it means that there's no adhesive being applied to the skin. The garment is retaining the dressing in place.
0: And and to the, so, you know, and it's, as you say, it fits snugly underneath the shirt or a blouse or, or whatever. So to the external world, I have this second skin underneath that's holding my dressing in place. Um, uh, but to the external you know, I it looks it looks like I'm just wearing a normal blouse or, or yeah. shirt, I guess.
2: It's very discreet, yeah. And there's like I said, there is a strap across the front over the bust on the ladies' garment, but that can be removed if if you wanted to wear a lower neck um, and Fair. a low collar. Super so yeah, it is. It's very discreet and it's it's very lightweight material. It doesn't kind of affect body temperature as well.
0: So Fantastic. we're delighted with this, Suzanne. It sounds like you're making a tremendous progress. In ten seconds, what's the vision for the future?
2: So to be reimbursed in, in multiple markets and we're going for that and then to to move into other areas of wound care beyond HS once we've kind of achieved all of our goals in, in the HS market.
0: Fantastic. Suzanne, thank you so much for uh, coming on and talking to us this morning and the very best of luck for the future.
2: Thanks a million. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks. That was Suzanne Perfect. Maloney of Hydromed or Hydra Wear. Um so just reflecting then on, on the challenges and we heard from, from Ruth earlier on and there just from Suzanne and there kind of seems to me to be two big types of challenges. There's a societal perspective uh, and then there's the individual. Um, I was looking at the EU Horizon 2020 programme thinking about it from a societal perspective and they fund a good deal of research into the big issues. And I think as, as we look at those big issues, I think we can talk about health, which is demographic change and well being, And obviously that's, that's kind of a big one. We've food, uh, we heard about uh, you know some of the, the innovations that are happening there from Ruth um, around sustainable agriculture um, marine and maritime we, we've we heard earlier in the series about energy and, and that just keeps coming around again and climate action and and the environment and resource efficiency so some of those big societal challenges uh, we look forward to exploring with you uh, over the course of, of this and, and coming uh, series from an entrepreneur's perspective though and just listening to Suzanne and others that we had on um there's a long list of issues that that need that the, the entrepreneur faces i picked a few and um, the first one is is imposter syndrome and having not having the confidence to push your idea forward and to the entrepreneurs uh, amongst us that are listening just let's get on with it let's just get it done cash obviously we hear about funding the whole time and that's a big issue running out of cash is one of the big reasons that startups fail and avoiding that valley of death um is, is a key challenge team Uh, as Suzanne mentioned they're building a right team around you attracting the right resources to complement your skill set is absolutely crucial Um, and competitors you will always have competitors they will not want you to succeed and what do you do better than them uh, I think is a key one and finally then customers you know Customers are what makes a business, uh, what builds it. So how do you get the first and second and subsequent customers? And they're kind of some of the challenges that we've heard from entrepreneurs across this series. Lots to think about. After the break, we're delighted to be joined by Fergal Brady. He's an entrepreneur. He's an investor to talk about building and investing. So don't go away. So welcome back to Startup Nation, our weekly look at innovation, entrepreneurship and the technologies that are shaping our future world. We're talking about challenges this afternoon and we've been hearing uh, both from the entrepreneurs and uh, from Science Foundation Ireland, from Ruth. And I'm delighted to welcome uh, an entrepreneur, Fergal Brady, to join us uh, this afternoon to talk about uh, his journey through a number of, of his successes, uh, investing uh, and some of the new companies that he's working with at the moment. Good afternoon, Fergal, and thanks for joining us today.
3: Hi there, Connor. Good afternoon. Nice Th- to be here.
0: Thanks so much. Um, tell us a little bit about you to start us off uh, Fergal tell us a bit about the background before we get into uh, what started you on the road to entrepreneurship
3: Um, probably I I, when I finished college did a mechanical engineering and uh, I was working in an engineering firm a sort of small Uh, engineering services business and uh, sort of exposed me to the world of international business and business development. Um, And I I decided to move into the software industry and I worked for a banking software startup at the time uh, called CR2, which is still going. Thankfully, it's it's a great company. And uh, they were... Just before the dot-com uh, bust, so they're riding the wave of the dot-com boom, and uh, I, I worked with them, learned a huge amount from Kean and Ron uh, there, who, who were the founders, and uh, I got sent out to Singapore, set up the sales office out for Asia, and uh, worked away, and it was a fantastic experience, fantastic time, and I knew it was something I really, really wanted to do. Um, and after the dot-com bust, then, I decided to go and do an MBA in France, in I say. And uh, during my time there, I just focused on the entrepreneurial track. There were various tracks you could focus on and um, my uh, uh, professor of strategy worked with me uh, uh, quite closely. It was really helpful to to formulate an idea for a business around wireless broadband. Um, and I was going to start a company in wireless broadband when yeah. I got back to Ireland, and then I discovered that there was a company already called Irish Broadband who were doing it very successfully and a massive amount of funding. Um, but I, I I noticed that voice uh, voice over IP was something that could be uh, very successfully deployed on wireless network links and uh, started investigating that and in various sort of engineering forums etc i came across a guy called aaron clausen who was an australian engineer and he had moved to ireland with his uh, then girlfriend and uh, he was working for intel at the time but he was sort of looking into voice over ip and uh, he was living in in a house and he didn't understand why you had to have a phone line and pay line <laughs> rental uh, in order to just have a phone and at the time the sort of the regulatory environment had changed to the to to, to uh um uh, sort of liberalise uh, liberalize yeah. the the market uh, and enable third parties to access the telephone networks. And at the same time, then some software developments had emerged. There was a piece of software called Asterix, which was developed open source, and it was effectively a phone system uh, in software. And by by harnessing the power of the software and the sort of liberalised market access, we were able to build a a, a telephony platform uh, which enabled you to make and receive phone calls and get a, fo- a phone number, but without having a phone line. And that was the start of it. And we just, we, we just sort of got on really well. Uh, we decided we'd um, we'd start a business together, and uh, we did. So we we got it underway. Uh, he he built the software platform. I sort of went out and raised some money and and uh, started getting customers. Um, and we grew really fast you know it went it went you know to to we're doing a sort of a, a million uh, annualized recurring revenue within kind of 18 months or so
0: this is this was probably back around about 2004 2005
3: 2004 2005 exactly yeah yeah exactly um but, so, it's, in, but it's interesting
0: yeah. to hear you there i mean you had like it's it's a great insight you've you've done the theory if you will on the mba you've come up with the idea and then you you hit the market and the market says actually that's already there we don't need that thank you very much
3: <laughs> well i suppose there's, there's two ways of looking at one is that no plan survives contact with the enemy <laughs> and everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face like mike tyson yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> and that's precisely it i mean it was it was an absolute nightmare the first three or four years were an absolute nightmare um the, the technology was extremely unstable, yeah. uh, the broadband networks were extremely unstable, um, and, and telephony is a kind of a real-time experience, so you notice if something is going wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, but also, it was, uh, anyway. it
0: was a heavily regulated market, and, and there were some very strong fixed-line competitors who, who were presumably were pushing back very hard.
3: Yeah, well, that's right. Well, you see, at the time, it was kind of, it it was in this sort of um, shadow area where it was sort of unregulated but regulated because the the regulator was only kind of getting to grips with with IP telephony, as was the rest of the world. It was really an emerging technology. Um, And and the the sort of incumbents are are like incumbents or large companies all over the world. They're really not that interested and and don't really innovate very well generally. So um, it, it allows us to sort of, you know, perfect the technology. And advance it, and, and we worked with sort of companies around other companies around the world. and uh, The technology actually we developed has become pretty much part of the standards of the industry these days, you know. So, so, you know, I'm talking to you over an IP line now, and it's just you Perfect. know, everyone uses it. Um, uh, like there's hardly any fixed line, traditional fixed line services left, yeah, yeah, but um. Uh, at, the, at back then it was much more difficult so the, the technology and then the funding at the time I mean these days if you had a cloud-based service with recurring revenues of a million a year uh, you know you're, you're, you're a very valuable proposition back then unless you were investing in uh, un- unless you had a house to invest in or you were investing in a hotel or something like that it was really hard to raise funding um, and, and so we raised hardly any money Enterprise Ireland were of course very supportive DBIC were very supportive um and, and sort of friends and family and a, and a few sort of key investors that we, we attracted on the journey. But we didn't really raise an awful lot of money. And um, around 2009, end of 2009, early 2010, um, Aaron was completely burnt out. He was working 20-hour days, I'm not joking, like yeah. for, for years and, and trying to deal with support and technology at the same time. And uh, he went, went back to Australia. And uh, I wanted to bring in a new management team uh, new investors and wanted to start focusing on the business market. So um, that's when we kind of pivoted the business and um, we sort of kicked on from there. Um, we, we developed a white label platform, a wholesale platform and internationalised it sort of right from the very beginning actually and um, that became a sort of staple of the business going forward. I remember, and, uh, I, I remember hearing
0: yeah. you uh, talk at an event, I think it was probably a, a funding and scaling event the Dublin Bank ran and you very honestly described um, I think at one point trying to pay the wage bill and having no, having no money left like and it was coming to like so you're yeah. you're you're kind of talking about this journey uh but actually along the way there was some real pain uh, in terms oh, of building yeah. what you built
3: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was many, many is the, the occasion when we got to the end of the month and we were really scraping together. You know, I had to pay the wages from from myself or borrow. Well, I didn't have any money either, but I had to borrow it to, to, to pay them. And and you know, um, but yeah, you just you do what you have to do and you struggle on. I mean, every every entrepreneur who starts a business, they all have the same sort of stories, etc. Everyone's in the same boat. So um, it all worked out in the end, thankfully. But yeah, it was very very difficult back then. The environment now in Ireland actually to develop a business and to grow one is fantastic, you know, and uh, the, the ecosystem is brilliant, it's an amazing place to, to start and grow a business now, I think, uh, which is fantastic, and, and of course the, all of the technology companies which have sort of, you know, located in Ireland for various reasons, they've sort of Bred this ecosystem of talent, um, and, and and sort of brought in talent from all over the world. So there's a fantastic sort of ecosystem now of of, of you know talent, uh, funding, um, accelerators, organisations like DBIC and EI etc to to help companies grow. So it's a much better environment, I think, now to, to to start a business than it was back then.
0: And it seems to be, if I can you know use it's it's more mainstream, or it's you know when when I was a kid, everyone wanted to be a rock star. Or an actor now people want to be entrepreneurs and starting businesses, so it seems yeah. to be much more mainstream, I guess, than when you were kicking it along in in the in the late two
3: thousands yeah, no, that's right, yeah, it's great actually and and um I think. Uh, you know, from, from my point of view I think in, in Ireland we haven't had as much of an entrepreneurial kind of spirit um, as, as some other countries you know um, and I think it's starting to change now where where people are, are even w- when they're still in college they're looking yeah. at starting a business or starting a business directly when they come out of uh, college and we haven't traditionally had that you know I mean I think it's kind of a, a young country in many respects yes. from, from, from those, that kind of point of view you know like we'd never any heavy engineering services in Ireland are very very few whereas just across the border in northern Ireland of course there was you know a couple of, of globally renowned heavy engineering industries you know so it's fantastic that that there are companies you know starting up on a regular basis in ireland and people are treating entrepreneurship as a as a, a viable career option directly straight out of college or even out of school
0: yeah i wonder are we accepting a failure yet i wonder fergal you know you you hear this notion of in the states you've got to fail three or four times and and that's kind of accepted whereas here i wonder are we there yet
3: yeah, it's uh, it's a good question. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It is, is the the honest answer. Yeah, I don't know. Probably not, you know, yeah. probably not. Um and and I think one of the problems is 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 that we've got this, you know, um we've got this terrible uh, uh um um Interest in, you know, fascination with property. Yes. And everything is about property. And, and for me, it kind of detracts from the, the entrepreneurial spirit of the country because, you know, if you, you could, people just, okay, we'll just buy a house or I'll buy an office and I'll just rent it out yeah. and do nothing. And that's fine. But I mean, you know, you're not creating anything. You're not developing anything. You're not building anything. You're not creating any value, you know? Yeah, yeah. And as long as we have an environment which encourages all that, you know, we're never really going to get to the stage where we're, we're breathing you know, globally dominant software and other types of companies where people have to go and build a company because they've nothing else, nowhere else, nothing else to do with the money, you know, the capital. Capital is extremely hard to come by, as you know, especially yeah. when you're starting a business. Yeah. And if all the capital is going into the blooming property market, you know, it, it, it makes it even worse. Yeah. And, just, and it just makes it harder to actually develop a business because you have to pay the wages to support the rents and the mortgages and all the rest of it. So it yeah. drives me nuts. But anyway, <laughs> rent over.
0: Yeah, no, no, but it's a fair point. Uh, that entrepreneurship needs to be supported at, at and, and you know Enterprise Ireland do a fantastic job but there's much more that could be done to support that kind of entrepreneurship I, I agree with you go back to Blueface uh, late 2009 2010 you moved and uh, in, pivoted into the business market and and what happened then
3: So um, we brought in a new new management team. My my, uh, latter day business partner Alan Foy, uh, who I met back then, who was uh, fantastic, was just really, um, he worked for a couple of years in financial services, um, really wanted to get into uh, the investment kind of area as well, but wanted to to run a business and uh, he was just absolutely fantastic. So he he actually bought into the business with a couple of his his, his own business partners. Um, He took over as CEO. and started to develop the business in particular, the the B2B area of the business and the internationalization. Um, So we we, we sort of knuckled down and it wasn't a great time uh, to be in business at all back then, if you remember. Um, But for us actually in Blueface, um, you know, business was booming because of course people were looking to cut down on costs, etc. So we we, we did an awful lot of business, uh, did a lot of international business. Um, We raised some money then in 2016. Uh, we raised 10 million euro to internationalise the business, um, but things really moved on a, a pace. Then the, follow, that, the, the following year, we merged with a US company, one of our competitors. Uh, we became the, the sort of fourth largest um, unified communications provider in the world. Um, and then, uh, uh, sometime after that, the, the various parts of the business were, were was kind of split in two, if you like. Yeah. Um, but the Blueface business itself was bought by Comcast business. Wow. Um, yeah, of the US. Then last year, just a year and a half ago, um, and they've been they've been brilliant. So I, I've i completely exited the business, no longer an employee or anything else. So um, I'm uh, I'm just happy to see it uh, continuing to grow.
0: It's a fantastic so, yeah. story, and, and, and you're kind of I think you're kind of underplaying it somewhat a little bit. You're being quite modest, but <laughs> but it's an amazing story to, to take that business from where you did in 2004, spotting that opportunity, uh, right up to you know where your business has been acquired by Comcast. It's an astonishing achievement.
3: Uh, yeah, well, it's uh, as I always say. It's you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't much to do with me. It was like we had a fantastic team, and there's still a fantastic team in there, and, and some of the people who've, who've, who've left as well. So it was more about the people I worked with. To be honest, uh, we just we always focused heavily on on talent and people, and it paid dividends in the end. In fact, uh, three of the sort of key engineering uh, uh, personnel who began the business, one uh, as, a, as, a, as a French student doing a stage with us back in 2005 are still with the business you wow. know uh, which I think is, is a testament to the sort of the, uh, the, the the HR policy if you like Yeah
0: and when you when you look back now from kind of that, that era those, that 2004 to 2016 I guess lessons learned for you along the way the entrepreneurial lessons because we'll talk a little bit about you going again and, and but, but what when you look back over at the, the three or four key things that you said uh, you know I should have done it better or I, wow well, I really learned my lesson there
3: Yeah, one was to focus on and to go international straight away. So I always say if we had just started in the US, just start, just do it. Uh, We'd have been 100 times bigger, (laughs) Right. you know, just by virtue of the market size, you know, because it's 100 times bigger.
0: But it's difficult for a young startup in Dublin to suddenly say, you know, particularly back then in 2004, you know, I'm suddenly just going to attack the US. I mean, that's a very difficult
3: jump. Well, you know, it isn't, it isn't. If you're an online business, and the way we used to promote our business was was, was actually traditionally online, we used to do a, a lot of, uh, we had a lot of activity on boards.ie, I don't know if you remember yes, boards. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and, and particularly around the, the sort of technical community, and, and they were our advocates in, in many respects. Uh, for a long time, so you know you can do just exactly the same thing, but in the u s so so if you're, if your activities are online um, and particularly you know if you've, if you don 't have physical equipment to deliver or you don 't have face to face meetings to do i don 't see why not it's it's it 's kind of irrelevant where you are like it's it 's as easy to fly from Dublin to New York as it is from New York to san francisco
0: yeah yeah
3: you know there 's not yeah. much difference
0: yeah yeah okay, so lesson one was go international faster.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that was a big one. And, um, uh, lesson two, I think, um, I, I, I would have focused more on, on, on the fundraising and getting the fundraising in place. Um, you know, we'd a lot of very hairy times and a lot of, Gray hair and yeah. hair loss from from the financial aspect. It's it's not as easy as it sounds to just focus more on it, but but definitely be a little bit more circumspect about um, you know the the, the cash flow, etc. Um, you know, we we had a I suppose a more cavalier approach, um, and I suppose it's a it's a time of life as well. You know, when you're 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 in your twenties yeah. um, or early thirties, you can have that more cavalier approach because they you know the, the the security of of of, um, of Finance isn't as important to you as it is, perhaps when you're in your fifties or sixties, when it uh, it means a whole lot more, you know. Yeah. Um, but that was that was a big thing. Um, and so that would that you learned. would
0: you would you have taken if you had taken on funding earlier, would it have accelerated growth?
3: Um, I don't think it would have accelerated growth that much, but um, it, it might have accelerated a little bit. But it would have made the platform on which we were building much more stable and secure and ultimately would have led to a a faster expansion when we did expand because the platform would have been more robust. So it would have uh, laid the foundations for future growth um, rather than just growing instantly.
0: Right, okay. Understood. Understood. And then you you did mention that lovely, um, you know, we've been doing this show now for for the last three months and we keep hearing about team and the importance of finding the right team and finding the right talent and, and attracting them to join you and you're reflecting that as well, I think.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was very lucky all along the, the journey. All the people that we had, and, and indeed with with Aaron, my my, my co-founder, I mean, um, we're we're working again now. But uh, um, you know, he was fantastic. So, I, and, and having that sort of technical and business side, and 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 sort of both with an entrepreneurial flair, I think was was very important. We were lucky.
0: Superb. Mm-hmm. Um, moving along, uh, Venture Wave Capital. Then you you have also. Looked at, or you are an investor. Uh, describe the process around that.
3: Yeah, well, well, this is really uh, Alan, my, my 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 business partner, the latter day business partner in in Blueface. Yeah. Um, was uh, as I mentioned, it always want to get involved in in investing and venture investing, and uh, I, I, I like the idea of it as well, I suppose. So um, that's where that idea really came from. Um, we uh, with, with Alan and, and, and Kieran um, and Brian there we just decided it would be a good thing to do um, it's an impact investing fund so venture way capital is focused on impact investing yeah. a, 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 the impact Ireland is the name of the fund and we're just investing in Irish companies which typically have revenues from sort of 1 million up to about 10 million okay. and so in other words they're they're past the sort of er, very early stages um, and they've, they're they're They've got sort of very strong intellectual property, uh, typically predominantly software based um, and in a position to scale globally, uh, driven by the founding team, uh, you know, with strong entrepreneurial noose and who are looking for not just funding, but also the uh, expertise and assistance of a a great network um, and a great team to help them, you know, go global and build out sort of great Irish companies from Ireland. Um, we, we're investing in in areas which will have a direct impact on 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 society um, and the environment. So we're looking at healthcare, we're looking at um, uh, food and agriculture, at uh, clean tech, um, and at, 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 at healthcare. So within those, then we're looking at predominantly software companies. Um, and the with with the ability to to go global so right um,
0: um, yeah. yeah we heard earlier on uh, from ruth around those kind of big thematic areas and you're reflecting on them there why did you why did you settle on impact investing why 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 not just go into the mainstream pick up a couple of sas companies and away with you
3: yeah well i suppose we've always had this idea that you know a business uh, um well it's we, probably Preface it a little bit with we believe in the, the sort of the B corporation idea, and we don't believe that a company's only goal should be to maximize profit. I think that's a, a, a nonsensical. Um, a single goal, so we firmly believe that a company should take into account all of the stakeholders of the business, um, you know be it the city or country in which it's, uh, uh, in which it 's uh, situated, uh, the employees, the customers, the environment um, everything should be taken into account and um, so impact investing made a lot of sense to us so we always had the idea that we wanted to build a great business but one which took care of its employees and 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 you know made a positive difference in the world we believe that business can be a positive force for change um, and it's probably the only way we can you know really change the world realistically is by harnessing the power of business to do well um by doing good so uh, that's where the idea came from, and then within the sort of particular sectors that we're focused on, uh, it's kind of inevitable that that companies w- which are active in those sectors uh, will have a positive impact on the world. No, nothing's perfect, you know. There's always downsides yeah. to every kind of business. There's, you know, but you you, you need to be prudent and, and uh, you know about it, and you need to you know make judgment decisions and say, well, look, the benefits outweigh whatever negatives might be there. Nobody's perfect, so um, that's where it came from. Yeah, that's that's the idea.
0: Any. Uh- uh, anything you can tell us of any potential success stories that we'd be, we'd be keeping our eyes open for?
3: Uh, well, I'm sure you'll see them in a few years. It's <laughs> all very early days yet. We're, uh, we're investing away. We've got some, uh, some really good portfolio companies. Um, what, what, what's very encouraging, actually, is... Um, we have sort of adopted the the, the B Corp um, uh, business sort of toolkit assessment toolkit in order to look at the effect and impact that a business is having across all of the stakeholders and we thought by introducing this that you know that we might get some pushback from businesses but you know most of the businesses we talk to they're they're nearly all kind of you know young enough founders um, and they're actually expecting it which is really really encouraging Um, and many of them have implemented it either knowing or unknowingly have implemented many of the kind of features of um, you know the business impact toolkit so it's fabulous to see and and I think it's you know in and in a, within the next five to 10 years, I think attracting talent, you know, out of school, out of college, um, it's going to be absolutely vital that a business is able to present its impact credentials and say, look, this is what we stand for. This is our mission. This is what we believe, yeah. because you're not going to be able to hire people unless you have that. You know, people are getting very fussy about who they work for and what 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 impact they're having on society. Um, so fantastic. I think it's a it's a growing sort of uh, area.
0: It's fantastic. And the time is now for that kind of impact investing. It's been talked about for a while, but the time is now. We've about a minute left. Um, Can I just ask you about your latest venture? We're talking to you from Madrid uh, this afternoon and you've a, a new venture that you're exploring at the moment.
3: Yeah, so uh, it's uh, it's still in stealth mode. So myself and Aaron, my original business partner, we're working on something uh, around the uh, the payments industry. Payments in general is just a, is a really horrible experience online and, and, and uh, we're just working on something to change that, which involves some cryptocurrency elements, which are, are fascinating. So we've been uh, we're working away in the background for, for, for some time on that and uh, the rest of it's still
0: secret. Very good, very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you had that whole... Uh, I don't know very much about it, but that whole cryptocurrency and uh, area seems to be uh, seems to be uh, happening.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot a lot going on.
0: Brilliant. Fergal, um, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon and for sharing your story. Uh, it was a, an amazing look at a, a kind of an entrepreneurial journey and the very best of luck with your, with your next venture will be eagerly awaiting.
3: Thanks very much, Conor. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Thanks again. so, thanks so
0: much. That's Fergal Brady. Well, that's it for this week and for the season. I hope you enjoyed our discussions over the last thirteen Sundays. We look forward to welcoming, welcoming you back again in September. In the meantime, catch up on some of our previous episodes on our podcast Startup Nation, available where you download your podcasts. If you have a great idea and are thinking of starting or scaling a company and would like some support, do get in touch with us at Dublinbic.ie. And finally, can I say a big thank you to the production team for making me sound good each week on sound. Owen Fitzpatrick, uh, thanks for all the help. And to the series producers, Donna Byrne and Una Fox, thank you for both for all the advice and support. That's it from Startup Nation. Enjoy the summer and thanks for listening.